won't you uh, grab yourself a cup of hot cocoa, gather around this nice fire, and uh, join me for story time with John Isaacson, the Intentional Restorer, the Diojo. All right, you got your cocoa? You ready? I want to tell you a story about when I was a young man and my first interaction with what quote-unquote business consulting looked like. So there I was, new to a recent uh, construction company that want, that hired me to add a restoration division to their existing services because, of course, they saw re uh, insurance work as, you know, the cash cow, right? The one that would, if, if only they could break into the insurance industry, it would solve all of their revenue and profitability problems. And so here we are. But unbeknownst to myself, they had also hired a business consultant. Um, prior to, you know, even me being hired. And so finally, you know, a young man comes in with an ill-fitted suit and a briefcase, and he says he's going to spend some time with us and really dig into the biz. And so I remember after, you know, he interviewed each of us and kind of walked around the office and typed on his computer and, uh, you know, did those kinds of important-looking things. <clears throat> At the end of the week... You know, he provided my boss with a report, and I, I, literally the friggin' report said, um, you know, increase your revenue, uh, increase your profitability, um, and if you're struggling with profitability, maybe make some cuts, and, um, you know, opportunities to increase revenue might include going after real estate agents. So, um, and here's a list <laughs> printed out from, you know, probably Yahoo at the time, right, of uh, real estate agents in your proximity, and... Uh, and I remember thinking, what the crap? How much did that cost? And I, 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 I believe the owner said, you know, that was about $10,000. It might have been fifteen. I don't know. But so what they did was they looked in the, the interwebs and the top rated, you know, business consulting. And, uh, and that's what they got. So because of name recognition, that's who they got. And so, man, I, if you are a business owner um, looking for, you know, high-level business consulting or, you know, you're a manager looking for, you know, career development, um, process improvement, um, or even, you know, perhaps you're somebody on the front lines just looking for someone to help you know how to take the next steps. Um, the Diojo does offer business coaching. Um, I, I almost hate because of that experience the, the word consultant because, um, you know, there seems to be a lack of investment and engagement, right? You know, and so, you know, our goal when we coach and consult is to work ourselves as quickly as possible out of a job, you know, so identify what it is that you're wanting to execute on, try to create executable goals, and then help you achieve those goals. And it's not us being the superhero, but helping you be the superhero in your own story. And so, there's many of our guests on the Diojo podcast offer similar services, so I'd encourage you, you know, interview, talk to people, find out who's the right fit. Um, and if the Diojo happens to be, you know, if you think that guy John Isaacson might be able to help you, then um, that's awesome. So, but uh, but that's we we really try to create um, real world, executable. Um, you know, business coaching principles, and most of the stuff relates to, you know, the blueprint for success, your people, your process, your production and progress, um, you know, and we have things like 
clarity, consistency, and accountability. You know, just core principles, parameters that'll help you um, grow your personal and professional development, your leadership skills development, and you know, your process improvement. So, check out the Diojo.com. And uh, if it's something you want to talk about, schedule a free 15-minute consultation. So thank you for listening. The Diojo Business Coaching Services. TheDiojo.com. TheDiojo.com. Good day. Good day. Diojo wins. Welcome to the Diojo Podcast. Thank you for listening. And um, I'm excited we have a guest today that brings... Um, suppose unique puts his own spin on you know items such as transparency and um, opening up the full realm of the financials to all employees even down to frontline employees and um, shares you know kind of the turmoil turmoil he went through to get to that place um, and the soul searching he had to do and then the benefits of doing such Um, obviously right now uh, once this releases, there's um, we're in a period where you know we've had the pandemic and now there's um, civil unrest um, in a lot of areas, and so I, I, I was trying to reflect on that. I don't in any way you know think that I have you know the richest perspective to offer on that. But one thing that did kind of strike me is the role of the workplace in the quest for equity and justice, and so. Um, I'm ideas or unique approaches, um, kind of composing those thoughts, formalizing them for my article for my monthly column, the intentional restorer. So I just, I was going to share a few thoughts with you. Um, but, uh, I was reflecting on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you know, from, uh, the declaration of independence. What's interesting, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them that shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Um, And obviously, most of us are familiar that, you know, that was as our nation prepared to separate from the rule of England. Um, But it's interesting, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and our call to be, you know, to seek justice for all, right? And um, so it got me thinking, I remembered, um, I remember hearing a statement from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. where he says, um, for we know that it isn't enough to integrate lunch counters. What does it profit a man to be able to eat at an integrated lunch counter if he doesn't have enough money to buy a hamburger? And as I dug a little more into that, that came from his speech in 1968, um, fairly shortly before he died, uh, was assassinated um, in in that same year, uh, but that was at the Memphis sanitation workers' strike. Um, Where was the point? 
So he made some broader statements to uh, the problem isn't only unemployment. Do you know that most of the poor people in our country are working every day? They're making wages so low that they cannot begin to function in the mainstream of the economic life of our nation. And it is criminal to have people working on a full-time basis at a full-time job getting part-time income. So if you think about justice for all, right, um, I think we often get distracted by what's happening between political parties and the change that isn't happening by those that are in positions of power. And it's not acceptable to let ourselves off the hook by deferring to these broken systems while taking no accountability about, sorry, accountability for our local responsibilities. Um, and, and I think one of those things or two of those things that come out of Minneapolis, being able to say I was only doing my job is an unacceptable excuse for doing the wrong thing and justifying your inaction in the face of wrong in the workplace um, or anywhere, right? And then also saying it wasn't me is as reprehensible, you know, well, I didn't do that or I wasn't involved. Um, and so these are very real aspects of work in areas that must improve in everyday workplaces and our own actions and calling people out who are doing wrong or learning more about ourselves about ways that we can build you know fix the system where it is broken you know at work and abroad but you know work is a place where people can you know spend the majority of their lives right and and hopefully can build career opportunities and so we have a responsibility at whatever level of leadership you're at to try to make work a more equitable and just part of living out, you know, our call as a nation. Um, so, um, as I said, I'm trying to formalize more of those ideas for my article and um, I've got a few people, I've reached out to a few people to um, review that before it gets published, but, um, you know, um, I'm hoping by focusing on what I can do, um, you know, in my area of roles and responsibilities can make the world a better place for those around me, you know, and I want to focus on the reality that I cannot use. I was doing my job as dismissal for my responsibility to do the right thing. And part of the doing the right thing includes an ongoing commitment to educate myself and expand my understanding of equality, equity, and justice. So. You know, I, I do believe the workplace presents an opportunity for everyday people like ourselves to be involved in change and for others to be directly impacted by those efforts. And so if we focus on where I have influence, where I can affect change, then I can actually do something and move the ball forward in a tangible way. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm thankful. I don't think it's any mistake necessarily that this interview with Skyler uh, Lewis from um, Superior Restoration, he talks about some great ways that uh, he created additional opportunities with his, within his organization. And like many people have said, you know, uh, what is it? The rising tides raise all ships, you know? And so, um, you know, that uh, by doing so, one owners step out and do the right thing and, and do something different, think outside of the box. It's pretty wild, the return on investment and the engagement with their teams. So 
hope you enjoy this as much as I did, and uh, we'll have some closing thoughts here at the end. But uh, enjoy this discussion with Skylar Lewis of Superior Restoration. All right, well, we're here with Skylar Lewis of uh, Superior Restoration, and as you can see, the your Rise Up Kings, um, and that's your, you said that's a three-day event that you put out for married uh, business leaders and kind of an intensive. I've seen your post on LinkedIn that's like, uh, physical, mental, spiritual, the whole package, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rise Up Kings was a, uh, or is a, is a, a three-day event that we help men level up and kind of yeah. reach their potential. I found that a lot of guys play below their God-given potential, right? They're not operating at what they're capable of. And yeah. so we put together a pretty awesome, powerful event for men that want to level up. And then don't know what that looks like or how to get to that next level. And so yeah. it's a, it's an intense three-day event mixed with business um, teaching and strategy along with some physical exercises and kind of pushing guys physically. Something about pushing a guy physically and help, having him go past what he thought was possible. There's uh, there's some power in that. Sure. That iron sharpens iron type idea. Yep. yep. Gotcha. Well, that's cool. Um, and so you're, you're down there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's sunny. We're actually got pretty good weather. Um, you said you're in the, uh, the Temecula area, right? Well, yeah, the business is out in Temecula area. I'm in Newport beach. Okay. Um, so the weather is foggy right now. Okay. They tried to, they tried to shut down the beaches yesterday, actually. So I, I was out at the beach over the weekend. And so we were one of those people that the, the press is photographing yeah. <laughs> with your tape measure, making sure everybody's six Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we were out at the beach and so they Newport beach, Orange County was actually trying to get them to shut down the beach in Newport, Newport and uh, Newport's one of the few beaches that are actually still open. Yeah. So luckily they did not because that's basically my backyard. I don't have a yard at our house. So that's oh, nice. where we go to go hang out. So Well, you've got little guys, right? So I'm sure they want to get out and stretch their legs and, totally tough yeah especially when you're just you're right there at the beach i think like i said we used to live at ventura and my kids used to love to go down to the beach and um you know so that's nice at least hopefully they keep your beach open and people are smart about it so that it stays open so exactly yeah. exactly um well i always like to ask because you know very few people um we had someone on recently that uh, grew up it was a family business and and they wanted to uh, maintain that but uh so how did you inter how did your career trajectory intersect with property restoration? Yeah, yeah. So I had, I've always been an entrepreneur kind of early on. I started a uh, I started a uh, like candy distribution business in high school. So I used to work at Smart and Final, and I would go buy the candy wholesale at Smart and Final. Okay. And I thought while I was working there, I'm like, you know what? I could sell this, but what would be even better than just selling directly to kids is I wonder if I could get other kids that would sell for me. So okay. I actually found a group of kids that I would go sell them the candy in the morning. They would go distribute it, make their profit on it. And then they would go return the rest of the money back. Nice. And so it's kind of an interesting little gig. So I've always been thinking of creative ways to, to go into business and had a marketing company when I was like 20, 21, 22 ended up selling that was looking for something to do met my wife um, we got we ended up getting married and then we we launched a um or we were looking for for something to do and my dad had worked for service master for a few years hurt his back and ended up starting his own little carpet cleaning company in a place called hemet and so started his own little carpet cleaning company had done that for a couple years 
and was doing decent. He had like one or two vans. And so when we, when we had sold our business, I asked him, I said, Hey dad, can we, can we just copy the name of your company and buy a van in a different city? And I was like, I'm, I'm good at marketing. I believe I can blow it up. So he's like, yeah. So he showed me how to, where to buy a van, what equipment to get, how to do it. So I bought a van and me and my wife, Jessica, we started passing out flyers door to door, uh, yeah. 10 years ago. And, okay. uh, and literally just doing carpet cleaning, doing window cleaning, just kind of doing miscellaneous things. And it was you in the van? You were the, the Yeah. Guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, me and Jessica were doing everything. I mean, we even did some house cleanings to try to get some income in. And yeah. we did whatever it took initially to grow the business. Yeah. So you're, you're, you said your dad had been working for ServiceMaster. You kind of had the, the entrepreneurial spirit in high school. Was your dad a lifelong entrepreneur or where do you think? No, not at all. My uncle, my uncle was, my uncle okay. and my mom were. And so they, I kind of got that from them. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. It's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then, and then you just got to grind it out. So you go from marketing into carpet cleaning, obviously marketing helps with, with anything, right? With anything. Yeah. I have a core belief, man. Everybody, everybody at their core should believe they are a marketer and learn marketing and master marketing because they yeah. can use that skill forever. Well, but don't you find, and I know you manage other people um, now, you know, you've got the company, you know, grown, but uh, you know, I, I think so many people think sales and marketing is like, you know, uh, it's the, the used car salesman, but really anybody can sell. I think, I believe the most important thing is authenticity, right? So find, how you connect with other people and then just use that. If you can connect with somebody, you can sell anything, right? And so yeah. obviously there's some people that do that in a shady way. And then there's a lot of people that just do that in a very authentic way. You know, you want to buy from them. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, I was blessed to when I, when I was kind of growing up to be in some sales jobs. I'm all about sales, learning and mastering sales and marketing is critical yeah. to, uh, to creating a successful business, I feel like in today's, in today's marketplace. And so it's really just learning how to, there's a great book by Tom Hopkins, it's called uh, Sell Like a, um, I forgot what it's called, but it's like it, it, the, one of the part of it is, is sell like a sheep, close like a lion or something like that. So basically it's all about just being a sheep, like being super, Tom Hopkins was the number one real estate agent in the entire country. And okay. so he was a master at scripts and sales. And so his whole thing was asking questions and just being super genuine and just leading yeah. them through questions, not telling them what to do. Yeah. So leading with questions. And so for, yeah, for anybody that wants to master sales, I mean, you just go read some books and start learning and start practicing and you can become yeah. an effective salesperson Yeah. Uh, and selling like a sheep, right? Not being an aggressive wolf trying to sell, but you can just be this casual guy that yeah. is a top salesperson anywhere. Yeah. You know? yeah. Is it possible to learn this power? Yeah, everybody's got their, their way of going about it. And, you know, the most important thing, like, like you're saying, is find your groove, right? So uh, you started that about 10 years ago, just you and one van. When did it start to kind of scale or what were some of those key things that helped you get it growing? Yeah, so we... So what we've done, what I had done previously with a couple of businesses is I like to learn the ropes first in a certain position. And then yep. I always move out of that position. So I started carpet cleaning and then was doing marketing. My whole goal was to get enough business in to hire somebody else. So as soon as I could hired another person, got him in a van and then did more marketing, hired another person, pulled myself out of the van. So we had two vans running and operating. Nice. And then I did that over a two and a half year process till we had about five 
four or five vans that were operating. We were one of the larger carpet cleaning cleaners in our area. And so that's really what I did. I mastered that one skill, got somebody else into the van, pulled myself out of it. And that's kind of how I grew superior restoration. Yeah. It was actually superior cleaning at that point. Okay. Um, was, was learning a role and then pulling myself out of it and then training other people. So I did that with the carpet cleaning and then I was doing marketing and then eventually, or I was selling the jobs. So eventually I didn't want to sell the jobs anymore. So I trained somebody else to sell the jobs. And eventually I trained somebody else to be the office manager. Yeah. And eventually I trained somebody else to do all the accounting. Yes. So I just learned the role and then I would hire people to do those roles. And, yeah. and the, the benefit of that is you, you can manage them more effectively and know what they're doing. If you, if you understand know the what the pieces are. Yeah, totally. Totally. If you know nothing about accounting or numbers or anything, yeah. Uh, you're uh, at risk for, uh, you know, getting embezzled, which actually happened. So, um, yeah. Well, and, and I guess that kind of um, ties into, I was trying to pull up the, um, the post that uh, I've seen several of your posts, but this one in particular stood out. Let me see if I can grab that. Um, you had talked about one of the hardest things you had to do was push through suffering, big losses at the company. Um, about five years ago, you were growing, but the culture started to show some cracks. Um, you had some blackmail and those kind of things and betrayal and people leaving you, you know, kind of in the industry, people leave for a little bit of money. But the quote you said, you said, I was disconnected. It wasn't till I started to work on myself and the way I lead my company that everything started to turn around. So you know, rather than wallow or, or, or get jaded and, and blame everybody else, it sounds like you just kind of turn that internally. So um, can you shed a little light on what that looked like? And then, and then your process for saying, okay, this is what I need to do to, so you go from one van, you build it up and then kind of it blows up a little bit, right? At the halfway point. Yeah. Yeah. So we eventually stopped doing carpet cleaning and transitioned into restoration and we scaled that. I think we were at like three and a half million, four million, something like that. Um, and then we, we, uh, I, I thought I had built a good culture cause I was kind of goal focused and I helped our, I helped our employees try to reach for their goals and set right. goals with them personally. And really I, I thought I poured it into the team when in reality I was, I think more doing it uh, selfishly so I could get their buy-in and so I could get their commitment and their, um, and so I think more of it came from a selfish place. And so I, uh, the company started going kind of south. There was team issues. There was conflict. There was um, just, I was starting not to trust all my team members. And sometimes some of them I didn't even care for too much. Sure. And I had made a commitment to myself. I wouldn't build a business around people that I didn't want to be around. And so yeah. it got to that point where I was just, I didn't even feel like coming into the office really. I'm like, yeah, I'd rather just kind of stay away. Yeah. So I started to disconnect yeah disconnect from the office disconnect from the company and even i built some good systems and processes and, and marketing so it could kind of operate on its own so i pulled back and then there just started to, to have there started to be lots of lots of issues and challenges yeah. Yeah. and so i ended up hiring a coach i'm a huge proponent of coaches uh, and hiring coaches or consultants to help people help identify your blind spots and so i hired a coach amit kathari great guy and he, uh, he came into our business and totally worked with me. He's like, hey, nothing's wrong with your team. He's like, it's the person that's leading the team that is the issue. And I'm like, oh, yeah. shoot, I thought I was doing a great job. Was, um, and, huh? Can I ask, was he yeah. uh, a property restoration specific or what was that 
I guess I was, I was talking to another guy about, you know, how you go through that process. Did you hire him based on a specific aspect that you wanted to target or what was that process for you? Yeah. So it was basically just coming in to help support and change around our company structure, our team. It just wasn't uh, operating at the level I thought it should be. So I figured, Hey, let me bring in a pro. So this guy is not industry specific. He was a, just a high level leadership coach. He was a leadership and executive coach. He'd worked for a couple hundred million dollar companies and worked with their executive teams and helped them scale their, their businesses through, um, through developing the CEO and then developing all their executive management and then eventually all their managers. Yeah. That's kind of his skill set as he helps yeah. on the leadership side and also strategy side too. Yeah. So I brought him in and he really identified, hey, you as a leader need to make some <laughs> major changes for sure to get this thing to the next level. It starts with you. And so he ended up working with me and I did a bunch of introspective work and read some books and just dove deep into um, being the best leader I could be. We ended up switching out a couple, I'd say probably 30 to 40% of our team because they were no longer the right fit, right? There was, I had people in the company that I had started with that I had outgrown or people that were also kind of negative and didn't have, weren't the right cultural fit. Yeah, yeah. Good people, but just weren't the right cultural fit. So we switched out some people and that started the journey, right? With me personally. And then I was able to start holding my own commitments, start coming from a place of servant leadership instead of selfish leadership and really start loving on the team and, and being a leader that leads from the front. Yep. And that made a big difference. If you just so happen to be enjoying this episode of the Diojo Podcast, you may also as well enjoy the last episode of the Diojo Podcast, episode 18, which is our Pro vs. Joe number 3 episode, the podcast within a podcast. Who does that? We do. Anyways, John, the pro, quote-unquote, and Brian, the Joe, quote-unquote, discuss the growing pains of a young business And they also review, one of the concepts they review is knowing who you don't want to work with is as important as who you do want to work with. Do you agree or disagree? Well, listen, and then you can give us your feedback and tell us how genius or idiotic we are. Thank you for listening. The Diojo Podcast, Pro vs. Joe Podcast. Engage. Do you... um... I'm wondering, um, I've always appreciated finding people, you know, like you said, cultural fit for me, it's been, you know, are you hardworking, willing to learn and, um, honest, right. You know, kind of the three things that I can't give you those three things I can teach you. Like you said, you came in with no experience with carpet cleaning. You learned it. Um, but the, uh, you know, I can't make somebody honest. I can't make them hardworking and I can't make them willing to learn. Um, do you, if, if you look back on it, do you see any, has it been harder or do you believe there's any correlation to getting people that are kind of fresh and training them in your way, as opposed to trying to retrain bad habits from somebody that might've worked at another company? Yeah. Yeah. We used to hire based on experience because I was yeah. newer to the industry. So that did help out initially. Sure. Um, however, now we 100% hire based on cultural fit. So we yeah. have assessments that we run, disc assessments, personality profiles, and then we, we have our core values, C-O-M-E-T, Comet, uh, which is collaborate, own it, mindful, efficiency, and then thirst for learning. C-O-M-E-T, Comet, uh, which is collaborate, own it, 
mindful efficiency, and then thirst for learning. We literally have our hiring process set up and all of our, we have 36 employees. All of our employees know the core values. You go ask any one of them, Hey, what are the company's core values? Yeah. Oh, comments collaborate in this. So they'll, they'll, they'll rattle them off. So most yeah. companies, there's no alignment. Bill, what? strange things are afoot at the circle K. Yeah, they're like, well, they're it's, uh, yeah. yeah, most companies don't know their core values. They don't know their mission statement. They don't know their primary goal. There's a lack of alignment. So we've built very strong alignment because we hire people that match our core values. So during our interview process, we actually ask questions that say, hey, is this person collaborative? Yeah. So we ask questions like, hey, give me some examples of how you were collaborative or, yeah. hey, is this, does this person own it? So I'd say, hey, you know, tell me a situation at your work where, you know, you got taken advantage of. Oh, well, my boss did this and this and this and this. And so I kind of see, do they have an ownership or a victim right. mentality? Right. And so we want people that have an ownership. So we vet, I mean, pretty hardcore people to yeah. make sure they match our core values. And that's allowed us to scale uh, with less friction over the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. So yeah. Powerful process. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's huge. I like that. The, the thirst for learning. That's uh, that's mm -hmm. a good one. We're uh, big into personal development and personal growth. Huge. Yeah. Right. I am personally, so it kind of stems from the leader. So yeah. we, we go to seminars. I send my people, to, we read books. We're always like growing and learning. So we want that type of person in our company. Yeah. Guys that are not into that don't do well. Yeah. In our company. Well, and it's interesting because um, I would imagine more often than not when, um, you know, a, a person like yourself hires a consultant, you're expecting the consultant to come in and say, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're saying it's you. Uh, was your initial response like, you know, hey, I think you need to leave. You know? <laughs> it's definitely frustrating for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you think it's somebody else, it's like going to a marriage yeah. counselor and they say, yeah. uh, you know what? I think the problem is my wife, not, not your wife. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's all, it's, it's just like that. Initially the shock is like, no, you're totally wrong. Yeah. And it's frustrating. But then yeah, once you take some time to really think it through, you say, okay, cool. Well, I do come from a place of ownership. So if my company is not where I want it, it's 100% up to me. So I've either hired the wrong people. I've developed them wrong. I've led them wrong. Like yeah. things have been done not effectively, which have created the current results. And that is all, on me yeah. uh, if I take responsibility. So I, yeah. I, take, I teach, like take 100% responsibility in everything. You, your yeah. wife divorces you, whose fault is it or whose responsibility? It was yours. Yeah, You could have done something different. You could have loved her more. You could have gotten in shape. You could have been yeah. more enticing. You could have, like there could have been a lot of things that, that would have, so find a place of responsibility because in that place you have more power to, to make decisions and not feel like a victim. Right. Yeah. That victim feeling is one of the worst things that you can feel. So yeah. I try to teach people, Hey, always find a place, always try to find some level of responsibility that you can take from every situation. Right. Yeah. And I, I I'm not sure if you're a fan of Jocko Wilnick, Good. but I know he has yeah. book that a lot of people are talking about. And he was talking about the key about taking ownership is not that someone just says blanketly, well, I own that, you know, what ownership does it is it allows you to say, okay, I own that you diffuse the blame right and then you actually allow people to have a conversation of what are we actually going to do to fix it you know it's not so yeah. much just somebody says okay it was my fault you know it's you know okay we're not here to point fingers and try to you know throw somebody under the bus what are we going to do to actually fix this as a team you know and so that's pretty powerful um so um 
is that kind of at that same time? Um, <laughs> so you talked about in the candy distribution business, right? People, you would buy the product, distribute it, they would get their cut and then bring you back, you know, whatever the agreement was. Um, did you, I think another post you had talked about, you know, you have complete transparency with your financials and then your, um, uh, your um, commission structure is very clear and, and, mm -hmm. and yeah. um, rolls out to top to bottom, right? Even techs get a, a, a cut. Yeah. So there, so my, my, my vision for my company from the beginning was always, I, I wanted to get it to where it ran on its own. So initially it was from more of a selfish standpoint that I just wanted freedom and I wanted the typical entrepreneur kind of lifestyle, right? Sure. Uh, and then it transitioned and it grew. And I said, you know what? I really am enjoying watching the team take ownership and really run the company. And so I had gotten certain pieces in place, right? To get a company that will, so I work two days a week in the business. So I go to the office two days a week and the, the team, I basically just meet with people and check in and how are you doing? How are you doing? I don't handle really any tactical uh, things in the entire company. So we're almost a nine, a little over a $9 million company. Um, so I don't handle anything. My team handles everything. And so I, I got to that place where I first started with the ownership mentality. I needed to find people that had an ownership mentality because you can't yeah. build a company like that if they don't take ownership. Yeah. And then the second thing was culture. I had to make sure the culture was in the right place. So it was ownership mentality. It was culture and then processes. I had to have the right processes in place where it was duplicatable, where people could come in and it was simple enough that they could, they could go and they could do it on their own. It wasn't so some complex thing that no, only Skylar can do this. Yeah. No, I had to make everything very simple and, and systemized and turn it into a machine. And I, so I had those pieces in place and I kept trying to pull out of the company, but then I realized that yes, they're able to make decisions. I, I empowered the team to make decisions on their own, but they didn't have any financial insight into how the decision was affecting the company. So I gave people autonomy and I let them make decisions on their own, but they didn't know the actual financial impact of the decision. So it was, it was like they were literally making decisions blind, which is how a lot of companies operate. They're like, no, I give people, uh, my, my team, the ability to make decisions on their own. I'm like, great. Do they know how that decision affected the net profit of the company or affected the cost of goods sold or affected the other areas of the balance sheet? The, the numbers are one of the most important things in the business. And so I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to implement a, uh, it's called great game of business. It's a whole process where you're fully transparent with the numbers. So we literally have our profit and loss, exact numbers on our whiteboard in our office. So if you walk into our office right now, You'll see our revenue, you'll see our cost of goods sold, all our expenses, materials, you'll see our overhead costs, you'll see our salaries, you'll see the marketing expenses, you'll see every, you'll see all the line items all the way down to net profit and profitability. So our entire team, all 36 employees, they see those numbers and we, they report on those numbers. So what we've done is we've given every employee a line item. And they're wow. responsible for owning that line item and reporting that line item. So somebody may have office supplies. And so they'll be responsible every week for saying, hey, how much should we spend on office supplies? Okay, cool. And then they're responsible for reporting that number and sharing that number with the entire team. We meet once a week, the whole company, and we share that information. So the company is fully in alignment. They know the numbers. They know how the month is going to end 
before IUC even know the month was going to end. So they, they, they have such good clarity around the numbers. And so they're all bonused. So we, we actually bonus the team based on the profitability. So the whole company, every single employee, they see the net profit number. And, they, and then if that net profit number hits a certain mark, they get a percentage of their salary increase. And then if it hits another mark, another mark, another mark, all the way up to 10% of their salary, they can get a bonus. Is that monthly, month to month or quarterly or? A quarterly. Quarterly. Yeah. Well, yeah, so now it, now it incentivizes them, right? So now, now they're not just operating the business blindly, but now they actually have financial incentive too to go, hey, I want to go build this thing. I want to go yeah. kick ass and create yeah. some results with this company because I'm financially incentivized. Now every employee is. Well, and that one tech that, you know, it may seem silly, but I can remember, you know, a string of months where our office supplies were just out of whack. And so if that employee is watching that, they're saying, why, why are we at 30% of our year to year average you know, on office supplies, you know? So yeah. it, it all adds up, right? Especially if you go into a lean month or. Yeah. Um, I remember, I think it was on IAQ radio, Claude Blackburn of uh, dry ease. He said similar. Um, he, I don't remember exactly the structure, but he said when we started sharing the financials and when we um, incentivize people, you know, very simply and flat, flatly, um, he goes, I made more money than I've ever made, you know, because it opened up an incentive and people, it was transparent, right? You know, you knew what people were doing and um, everybody wanted everybody to make money, you know, so, and they understood it better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think most owners don't do it because they're afraid that their employees will think they make too much. Sure. When in reality, a lot of times, employees actually think the owners make more than they do. Yeah. We yeah. did a survey. We asked, hey, we said, hey, what, what do you think our net profit is of our company? Yeah. And so guess what the, guess what the number was? They probably percentage thought. Percentage-wise. Uh, if I had to, like 50% or something, 50%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They thought we were making 50%. Yeah. So if we did 9 million, we're making four and a half million yeah. income. That's in my pocket, right? They're well, thinking. clearly you make 10 and 10, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plus, plus everything else. So it was a, so people thought we made more than we actually did. Yeah. So it, it was a blessing having, having that transparency. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of companies and they, you know, they, they say the same, they want uh, techs to have ownership. And it's like, well, exactly like you're saying, well, we don't ever share the financials with them. And uh, there's really no incentive on performance, you know, so, um, you know, there, there, there's workarounds on that. You, you focus on productivity, yeah. things like that. And people need to focus on control what you can control. And if you do that, if everybody does that, we're going to be doing fine. Um, but uh, that's just another level to it. Yeah, I feel like the uh, our, our society is changing and the way people think are changing. So you'll start to potentially see a lot more of this happening. Transparency and autonomy and ownership with employees. As, as we get to more of a gig economy and people want to have more control over their income and they want to feel like they have more control over their destiny and business, they're not just like a little, you know... Um, just a little person in the, in, in the wheel. Like it, yeah. it's, it's, you're going to see more and more companies that uh, need to step up in this area and start giving their employees more. Uh, I talked to a guy yesterday, actually a good friend. He has potentially, he knows a company where two of their top, top, top guys like built an incredible company are going to be leaving because the owner is just taking money out of the business and then doesn't really share anything with their employees. Sure. And this is a very large company. And so top yeah. VPs, 
are, are planning on leaving. Yeah. And so we're going to see more of that happen. They, they want more control. They want some ownership. They want to feel like they're, yeah, they have the ownership in the company. Yeah. Pardon this interruption for a brief clip from episode 17. And as the leader, you have to be humble enough to be okay yeah. with that. You're not known to be a humble man, but I wonder. I think I am actually humble. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. Yeah. That's hard, man. We all, you know, I talk about this, and I don't know if you've heard this on, on Blue Collar Nation, but I talk about this a lot. The same skills that allow you to start up a business from scratch, yeah, yeah. that kind of independence and maverick, and I yeah. can do everything myself, and I'm gonna watch you know, me, yeah, make this happen. Are the exact same traits that, as you try to scale your business, hold <laughs> you back. Yeah. So you have to pivot. That's the buzzword right now. But you have to pivot at some point to say, "All right, well, those skills that got me off the ground back in the day, those aren't serving me anymore. They're actually right. hurting me." Right. So now I got to go get some training. This is what I talk about in my blue collar coaching one on one with owners. Sure. Time to to flip that switch, and then now go into more, you know, leading. Yeah. Not managing. Yeah. They're not the same thing. Yeah. 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 Well, and it it starts like you said. Starts with leading yourself, right? To be able to lead others, you got to lead yourself and and be authentic yeah, just, there. Just for disclosure, like I didn't have any of these skills when I started. Yeah, I I, I, I had to learn all of this. Yeah, you know, I was a horrible manager. I was a horrible leader. I was. I mean, I might have had some leadership qualities, but they certainly weren't refined enough to get guys to really want to follow. Yeah, we had many years at the beginning where. We didn't have a good culture, and it was mostly my ego. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, I'm trying. I just lost my train of thought. But oh, I was thinking. You know, you kind of talk about the the new normal and how things are changing. And it was. I was thinking. I was just talking to somebody about um, you know, like COVID nineteen, and there's a lot of pushback on companies that don't want to uh, provide working remotely. You know, we're dispatching from somewhere other than the office and. Um, kind of the parallel to that is if your metric is, if I can see them, then they must be productive and my presence is really making a difference. And I think most of those companies that um, have objections to remote work or something like this kind of transparency, probably the main reason they have an objection to it is they don't have any real metrics that measure productivity or, um, you know, accountability and those kinds of things, you know, so they haven't actually thought through that process of what is, what are the benefits and the, you know, the blind spots of this. And I mean, that, that exposes financials exposed, right? They tell you where your inefficiencies are and, mm -hmm. you know, where you're lacking or where we need pickups or, Hey, this time last year we were kicking butt in this area and now it's dropped off what's going on, you know? So. Um, yeah, exactly. Luckily we've built, yeah, we transitioned pretty quick uh, because we've built, we've had, we've been tracking our, we have a scoreboard. We call it a scoreboard. Yep. Where we have all of our key metrics and yep. KPIs that we track with, I mean, and we track a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so that way we can quickly identify. Um, a lot of people don't know the difference between a like leading and lagging indicator. I don't know if you've ever spent any time on that, but it's a pretty powerful concept. A lot of people track the lagging indicator. So a lagging indicator is the end result. Yep. So, Hey, how many jobs did we get this month? but they're not tracking the leading indicator, which is what led to those jobs, which is the number of calls, right? Yeah. Or the number of visits for business development reps or the yeah. number of like, so a lot of people track all, uh, some people track uh, the lagging 
uh, but you should, more people should focus on the leading indicators, right? Yeah. Uh, as an example, if cash flow is low, that's a lagging indicator. Well, what's the leading indicator? Well, we're not collecting as many deposits yeah. or we're not making as many calls to reach out to customers to yeah. get, so, okay, well, let's start tracking our collection calls. Yeah. You know, so like there's a way in any area that you weaken in a lagging sense, there's some leading indicator that's there. And then you just put that on a scoreboard and then you just start tracking that, that leading indicator every week. Every week you're looking at that number, you review it with your team, you have it on a spreadsheet. It's a, it's a effective way to run, run a business, especially remotely too. So that's kind of a, another way of saying like symptoms and causes, right? So yep. like you have a cold symptom. People are like, well, I don't want my nose to run anymore. Well, let's dig back further why is your nose running so you're yeah 100 diagnosing the causes well I, I told you i wanted to keep this fairly brief and you've been very generous with your time do you have um any closing thoughts or um, um we definitely want to we'll plug a link in for superior restoration and for rise up kings um yeah yeah no i appreciate you man i appreciate you, john everything that you're doing looking to get good content out there and support companies and support uh employees and just uh, make a difference in the restoration industry so i, I love people that uh, or in the property property um, um space and so i yeah love what you're doing man just uh uh yeah excited to, excited to be on the on this also so well, well thank you for uh sharing your time and um yeah. i i listened to i think i heard too your episode on um you had a snippet on uh, the blue collar nation you know talking about mm -hmm. innovative ways that you guys are marketing while people are in quarantine so uh, i actually shared that somebody had asked a marketer had asked on linkedin and i was like man you gotta check this out because those are some really your people are coming up with some really good ideas so i encourage anybody to take a listen to that i don't remember what episode it is i'll try to put it in the notes but thank you so much for your time and uh and uh we'll have to do this again sounds good brother appreciate you all right thanks tyler thanks all right that's a wrap on another episode of the dio joe podcast our thanks again to Skylar Lewis, CEO of Superior Restoration and also the founder of Rise Up Kings, as he mentions. Um, so it's it's pretty funny, you know, his entrepreneurial journey started in high school, you know, putting a, a business together, wholesaling and, and creating opportunities for other people to um, sell. I really... I really appreciate how, um, you know, his perspective on learning the business from the ground up and kind of at each phase working himself out of a role and responsibility. And that's something I was thinking about last week is no leader is more important than their roles and responsibilities, you know, and as you build a system um, that's going to be sustainable, you need to think about vision roles and responsibilities and you know even as an owner you need to be accountable to those roles and responsibilities and those leaders who are lead by example in creating managers who uh, think in perspective of their roles and responsibilities and how to serve their teams which is a big thing Skyler talked about but um, you know it's uh, it's interesting what he talks about being transparent with the financials you know down even the frontline employees everybody sees the financials every week and everyone reports on something even as simple as you know the office supplies you know the the gains the losses and those kinds of things and um, they've seen great results from that and then people um, are bonused in a simple way based upon the performance of the team as a whole you know so um, 
you know, my experience has been oftentimes the uh, compensation, the, the commission structure is, <laughs> is so complex that uh, it just puts people at odds and sometimes can be demotivating, right? So um, it sounds like they've worked out a real simple system. And as I mentioned, I remember hearing Claude Blackburn on IAQ Radio. He was the uh, founder of DryEase, and he said the same thing when he got um, I don't recall if he talked about being transparent with financials, but making a very um, clear uh, commission structure and, and allowing people, you know, as the company did well, everybody did well. And, uh, you know, by, by doing that, the, there was real incentives and um, ownership and the company grew and he made more money and everybody was making more money, you know. So again, the rising tides raids all ships and kind of going to my opening statement, um, you know, which is thinking about how work creates opportunities for um, people to create, you know, equity, you know, to 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 build um, for justice by creating opportunities for all people, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and work pays plays a key role in that. I mean, we spend so much time at work, you know, for our whole lives. And so, you know, when we work to um, help each other, um, you know, it creates better outcomes for all as opposed to, you know, trying to hold someone down. Um, and, um, you know, I'll get into some of the details on that, you know, the economics of that um, in the article. Um, based on a, a, a great TED talk I saw from um, Heather C. McGee. Um, she talks about the cost of racism, you know, for those it's supposed to benefit, but really how it uh, creates worse outcomes for everyone. And so, um, you know, again, Skyler um, talks about, you know, shares rather candidly that uh, the company wasn't running as smoothly as he thought and and um, there was some definite holes and where he was at a point in his life when he just didn't want to come into work didn't want to be involved but um, thankfully got a good uh, business coach that kind of helped him do some soul searching and uh, revitalize his effort um, you know, and, and, uh, as he says, serve his team through the transition and then get the, get the right people, uh, on the team in the right roles and responsibilities. And so, um, I, I enjoyed the conversation. Um, I hope you got something out of it as well and, um, look forward to hearing back from you if you've got feedback. Um, so, uh, you can find us on YouTube. If you want to watch, there's any content on the videos. And then obviously on the various podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, which also has unique content just to the audio portion. So thank you again for listening to the Dojo Podcast. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard.